0: Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Welcome to this episode of the Lung Cancer Voices podcast, and we're doing this by Zoom. I'm in Ottawa, and my guest, Stephen Solos, is in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Welcome to the pod, Stephen. In this Lung Cancer Voices podcast, Stephen's going to tell us about his story with lung cancer, and we're we're going to talk about, well, a few things. His engagement with, uh, you know, community engagement and how that has evolved, or or continued or adapted with the lung cancer diagnosis, engagement with Lung Cancer Canada and artwork and a number of interesting things. So maybe Stephen, to start with, you could uh, sort of introduce yourself to people who are listening.
1: Sure, my name is Stephen Solos, as you heard. Live in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Probably the prettiest place in all of Canada, of course. I am retired. I took retirement at a young age, age 50, I'm 64 now. And I was involved and had an electronic and electrical repair shop right in the town of Yarmouth. After I retired, I continued doing a little bit of commercial repair work for about 10 additional years. Uh, And then I fully retired. I volunteer for various different local organizations. I'm typically involved in anywhere from between four and seven not-for-profits or charities at once. Love working with them. Love to be involved in Community, helping community, and um, it's been in our family genes for a number of years. My parents were both volunteers, and uh, actually, all of the members of my family are volunteers
0: as well. So, you had a phrase, for, you had a, a family phrase for that kind of thing. A family well, phrase? Didn't you say there was a, a when you get asked if you can do something?
1: Oh well, yeah. I mean, I, so the big, <laughs> I guess, the big question I I ask myself, as as do others in my family, sometimes, is if we're asked to do something, it's it's more about, is there any reason why I can't do that, not why should I do that? Um, because oftentimes, if you have the capacity, why not help out if you can? That's what human existence and life's all about, in my opinion. And so we do. So uh, all my family members are involved in multiple charities, and, uh, and we love it. You have a big family, Stephen? I have two brothers and a sister, and I also have three children of my own. It wasn't a big family growing up and seemed to be when we had neighbors who had 12 and 14 children. We were the small
0: family on the, on the road. <laughs> and are all your family still uh, still in Nova Scotia and close by?
1: No, I actually have a sister who lives in Victoria. I have a brother who traveled the world uh, in his career working for, interestingly enough, CUSO, CETA, various other non-government organizations as well. He taught people how to raise fish and rice paddies. <laughs> It's kind oh, wow. of strange coming from Nova Scotia, taking that on as employment. and uh, But he has moved back to, to Nova Scotia in the last uh, 15 years. And my other brother uh, remained in Yarmouth as well and was involved in the teaching profession. All retired now, all of us. Yeah.
0: And uh, well, I think we're going to come back to this a bit later. But you, um, one of the organizations you volunteer with is the United Church.
1: Yep. heavily involved with the United Church, our, our local United Church as well. Uh, my wife is as well, more on a on a provincial aspect, I guess. She's taken some leadership roles with United Church, volunteer roles. I've been involved uh, with our local church, Beacon United Church, for many, many years uh, as a volunteer, uh, chair of the stewardship team, in fact, as treasurer. I also do a lot of fundraising. Because of my mechanical skills, I also do an awful lot of repair work at the facility, which is important <laughs> because it's an enormous old an enormous old church built in the 1960s but a very large building that's always in need of maintenance
0: well I think maybe we'll come back a little bit later to talk about faith when, uh, when sure. you face the lung cancer diagnosis and and how that is very important to some people not not so important to others but, but there may be many people listening who might be interested to hear your your perspective on that but of course this is the lung cancer voices podcast and you are a, a, someone with lung cancer and um, could, maybe you could just sort of go over, go over with us, you know, how long have you had lung cancer? How did, how did you get diagnosed? People can't see it. Listening to you, I'm looking at someone who looks pretty healthy.
1: And I feel well too. I'll give you a brief rundown, I guess, of, of my diagnosis of when and, and what it's been, what, what it's involved. I, I, it started actually back in April of uh, 2020. I uh, got out of the shower one day and I was drying off and I felt, The towel ran over my back and felt bruised. I'm a very active person. I fall down sometimes. And I thought, oh, I must've fallen down. Then I thought, wait a minute. I I don't remember falling on my back recently, but when I pushed on this spot, it felt a little bit bruised. So I thought that was unusual, but didn't really think much of it. But three weeks later, it remained that bruised feeling. So I thought, well, I better get this checked out. I made an appointment with my doctor, went in to see him. He thought I had displaced um, uh, something. Um, and did some chiropractic moves on me, which only resulted in significant pain, um, but didn't resolve anything. Went home. It didn't get any better. I went back again the next month um, in June, and he said, well, maybe we should send you for an x-ray. So I went in for an x-ray. The results came back from that relatively quickly, and just the normal regular things you would expect on a 63-year-old body at that time, which was um you know wear and tear on the spine and and arthritis and that sort of thing which i knew i had but didn't cause me any great issues and i said no this is something different than the norm that i'm used to he said well there was one area where there was a, a bit of a shadow and we're not sure what that is so we're going to send you for a ct scan uh sent me for a ct scan within three weeks and uh then he called me into his office 8:30 on monday morning so i knew something wasn't good he sat me down and he said, I've got some bad news. He said, it appears there's, I think he called it a heloid density mass in your lung. It's probably cancer and it's spread. Uh, We see traces of it in your, of cancer in your pelvis, in your hip, in your ischium, probably in your liver. It's in your bones, in your spine and in your back. He said, this is very serious and it's significant. But he said, don't look at this with no hope. He said, There's all kinds of new targeted treatments. I don't know anything about them, but the important thing is for you to get treatment at this point. Your spine is in very poor condition and needs to get attention quickly. I'm gonna make an appointment with a thoracic surgeon in the city and you'll go up and see him. You should hear from him within a week. I went home, had to tell my kids and my family about it. Fortunately, we're a very open family. We discussed anything and everything in our household. So it wasn't difficult to make the call, but it was difficult. To talk to the kids and explain what had just occurred. Anyway, we dealt with it and and moved along. My next step was to see a thoracic surgeon, which, as I said, I'd, I'd heard from him within five days, um, and uh, he very quickly very quickly passed me along to a radiology oncologist. I was in to see him within another week, set me up for treatment within the day that I had seen him, and I started radiation treatment on my back. Then it was to be the have, I had to have a lung biopsy, genetic testing. Got to meet uh, with a with a medical oncologist, and she went through all the questions. Um, okay, do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you do any drugs? Do you have any? Are you on any prescription drugs? Have you had any former surgeries? Everything came out negative in those conversations. Are you overweight? No, I wasn't so she said, this is a bit odd. You don't fit the norm. She said, you may have a genetic mutation. We won't know until we hear back. But she said, there's about 10 genetic mutations that we're aware of. And about six of those are now treatable. They're life-extending. You can't be cured, but it's possible that your life could be extended with some of these therapeutics. So after we spoke and my biopsy was sent off, I went home. And within three weeks, um, I was called back, went up to the city. As I recall, she came into the meeting with a smile on her face and I thought oh this is looking promising (laughs) but in all honesty I didn't have the confidence to think that by chance mine would be one of the ones. Anyway she sat down and said you have cancer that's called a non-small cell uh, adenocarcinoma, yours is called an EGFR exon 19 deletion and there's a treatment for that. (laughs) There's a therapeutic therapy for it that could possibly be effective in, in in that treatment. It could possibly shrink the tumor. It could slow the tumor's growth. We don't know, but you should start on that. I said, absolutely. And to be honest with you, I felt like I'd won the lottery of life. It was probably my happiest day of my life when I heard that, because I had no expectation that I'd ever be able to take advantage of one of these treatments, but I was ignorant on the treatments of, of current day cancers.
0: So can I ask you, you when we were chatting before recording the podcast, you, you mentioned that you, you knew other people who'd had a diagnosis of stage four lung cancer. Um, and yeah. so, and, and I, what were your expectations for what your life was gonna look like when you first got the diagnosis based on your, your own experiences? Sure, and, and I had had n- numerous people
1: in my past who, who were similarly diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And in every single case, within three months, they were no longer with us. And quite frankly, I felt that was likely going to happen to me. Um, me. Yeah. So it it was. How long?
0: Sorry. Go on. Go
1: ahead. I was just going to say it was. It it was a bit unusual to then suddenly be put in another direction. I'm not going to die in three or four months. And in fact, she said, "You're not going to die anytime soon." (laughs) And I thought, "Wow, really?
0: (laughs) I can go now." What a year and a half into you being on this treatment.
1: That's exactly correct, yeah, yeah. So I started the treatment in August, yeah, so. Uh, yeah. How's your back? So interestingly enough, I had radiation treatment on my spine, and there were, that made significant difference. It was perhaps a month or so before I started noticing a difference. Uh, and then once I got on on the denosumab, sorry, on the osimertinib, which was the, the drug that was prescribed yep. to help reduce the cancer, it started getting more and more comfortable to the point where Actually, it was in October. My daughter asked if I'd like to go explore an island off of uh, the tip of Southwest Nova Scotia, um, one that her partner had never been to, called Briar Island. They do a lot of whale watching down there. I said, sure. It was an extremely windy, cold October day, and we took off. And I got down to the end of the island, which is very rocky and craggy, and I, I used to do a lot of rock climbing, you know, small rocks. I mean, not mountains or anything like that, But and we do rock hopping and so forth with the kids when the kids were small. And before I knew it, I was bouncing around on the rocks, and I said, Emily, there's no pain in my spine. Previously, when I was walking, if I misstepped, I'd get a shocking sensation in my spine, nerve pain almost, I guess I would identify it as. And that was all gone. And so I realized things were changing quickly for me. Great. Great. Pain, pain all but disappeared from my spine, and, and uh, I mean, I'm very active. Uh, and um, it doesn't really bother me to any great extent at all. So it's, okay. it's been a huge change, yeah.
0: So I'm going to pick up on something you said um, a moment ago is where you said where, where you'd first, you know, had that meeting with your family doctor, you'd been given this devastating news, and then you said, you know, you've got a very open family. You know, in my uh, job, not as a podcaster, but as an, when my oncology job, you know, and I meet people like you going through this, and I see some people with very open families, and everything's on the table, and other people where there's not not necessarily deliberate secrecy, but there's a sort of, well, I'm not going to tell them because they'll just worry. And it, in my experience as an observer of those situations, the open family situation tends to work far, far better. Could you maybe just share a little bit about, is it, is it just the family norm for you, or, or what have been the advantages of of being very open?
1: Uh, sure. And, and when I was growing up, our family was very open as well. My brothers and my sister and our parents are, were open about everything. Didn't matter what you wanted to talk about. There was no such thing as a subject that you could not talk about. And it's been the same with our kids. If they want to talk about something, uh, let's talk about it. Uh, everyone needs education and, and, and knowledge. Um, and, uh, you know, to shut people out of that, for me, at least, it, it wouldn't have worked out well. I I don't see any advantage in not sharing that type of information. And the other thing, quite frankly, that came out of that, so I I do belong to a church. In fact, I'm involved with three different churches, but two of them are historical buildings. Um, But the the church that I do go to, we were fine sharing that information, not just with the minister, but with the whole congregation. And a lot of people got in contact with me and said, we're thinking of you, we're praying for you and so forth. I can tell you that for the first two days after my diagnosis, there certainly was current concern and worry. I'm not a worrywart, but it was, uh, I had all this stuff in my life. I was involved with lots of organizations and I was concerned that I was going to be leaving them all high and dry. I'm a real junk collector. I love antiques, um, particularly things like antique cars. They take up a lot of room, you know, clocks and radios, anything that was electronic or mechanical, I loved it. So I collected it and all of a sudden I've got to get rid of all this junk in a hurry. So those were the things that were on my mind, more so than, oh my gosh, you could be dead in three months. But after the second day of my diagnosis, I felt this crazy sense of calm, and it's been with me ever since. I'm not worried about my condition. What happens, happens. I've also had a wonderful privileged life. You have to realize that I am a white male living in Canada, was brought up with loving parents, We had food on the table. We had a roof over our head. We had clothes to wear. Sometimes they were hand-me-downs. I had never struggled with anything, quite honestly, and I hadn't. Sure, there might have been periods, you know, when you're a teenager or something like that, like we all do struggle through this, that, or the other thing, but nothing serious. And I'd realize, holy cow, what a privilege to live and what a privilege to have the life that I've had. And, you know, for 63 years at that point, so there was really nothing nothing to worry about in respect that. Okay. So I might've lived another 20 years anyway, let's say on average, what more would I accomplish or, or be able to do? Or or how could things possibly get better than what I've already lived? Do you it feel was, like
0: that sense of peace came from, from your faith and from, from church or family support or? I
1: think there's no question that your faith journey has something to do with that. you, you, you learn a lot of things, I guess, through your faith, regardless of what that faith is. Most faiths, have two or three things at their core. One is to make sure that that you love your neighbor, but also love yourself and love your God, regardless of what that faith is. And I think in doing that and, and embracing the faith somewhat, it, it also gives you a sense of peace and justice as you go through your process and realize, well, I've lived a pretty good life. I've I've tried to 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 live a, a life of of standards that that I'm, you know, proud of, and I've lived with my community as well and tried to serve my community as well, which is a significant part of of my faith, the fact that I'm there to be assisting in, you know, in community, in the life of the community, and and if that's not what we're here
0: for, what are we here for? I I don't know if people listening to this would have the same sort of feeling that I'm having, but I'm thinking you're telling me a story of someone who feels like you've had a very uh, you know, wonderful life and, um, you know, that, that's gone beautifully until this point. And then suddenly you get this diagnosis um, and you've taken it with grace and calm and openness without a hint of self-pity. And I'm sure you probably had your moments, but sure. that's quite inspiring. Um, you know, you, you tend to
1: shed, shed and share your tears with friends and, and family. Um, but quite frankly, once you've been able to break the news to them and have a conversation with them, it's, it's all about what's next. And quite frankly, what was next for me was, okay, well, what else can I do? Gee, I still feel okay. Well, I guess I can do this and I can do
0: that. And, and very quickly, <laughs> well, that- I got back into my old routines. It, it was very simple. Well, that might bring us on to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, because you've mentioned um, family. And you've and you've also I, we haven't talked too much about hope, but we've sort of touched on mm-hmm. hope and and those two things sort of collided, I guess, with your introduction to Lung Cancer Canada as well with James. Sure. Uh, so maybe you should introduce James to us and and how he fits into the story.
1: So James is my daughter's partner. James uh, and my daughter live in Lunenburg, probably. A- Uh, two and a half hours from where I live on the South Shore. Um, Beautiful area. Actually, they're in a little community called East Martin River. (laughs) So anyway, James and Emily have been together for a number of years. And Stephanie Snow happened to be my oncologist. And she introduced me to Lung Cancer Canada. Did a little bit of background research and discovered, oh, they're having this competition, an artistic competition for uh, a new design, a new t-shirt. And as soon as I saw it, actually, we were on our way home from an oncology meeting and we stopped by to see Emily and James and uh, James, I I said to him as soon as we got in the dark, James, I've got a project for you. (laughs) I said, how would you like to win a competition, a national competition? He said, oh, that'd be cool. I said, have I got a job for you. I sat down and and basically told him uh, the story about the, the national competition. James is perhaps one of the most artistic people that I know, probably the most artistic person I know. He has a way of being able to melt things together, uh, things that don't seem to be necessarily, that you can't bring together and, and 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 turn it into something quite special. So for those that have seen the, the T-shirt um, that he designed, it's essentially roots of a tree that form a pair of lungs. And in that pair of lungs, um, you, you see a chrysalis form of a monarch butterfly. Um, the chrysalis was designed to look like a tumor because you know you look at a chrysalis even in its natural state and it's a strange dark looking mass and, and it's how could there possibly be any hope in something like that? Yet on the outside of, of his rendition, you have this beautiful monarch butterfly that has blossomed out and is ready to take, take flight, yeah. new flight, new life and off it goes. It was just an incredible design. And uh, I said, that's it. You, you won. And he just laughed it off. So the fun part of that, though, was, Paul, that uh, I guess it was like three weeks before they said, we have three finalists that are going into the competition. And, and of course, his was one of them. So I sent it to him. and He said, oh, my gosh, I don't believe it. <laughs> and then on the night of, we were so excited because it was the winning entry. They were all incredible. They were all beautifully done. But his ended up winning, and uh, I was so proud of him uh, for the work that he had done on that. So, yeah, it's, it's so he terrific, and my daughter uh, Emily. I'm sorry, I was just going to say he and, and my daughter Emily were also uh, involved with, to a certain extent, and and supportive of Lung Cancer Canada as well, which yeah. has been uh, an important part of my my little trick too, through through cancer, through navigating. Right,
0: cancer. and at Lung Cancer Canada, I think tries we try as 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 one of our you know our main submission sort of or. Uh, is to support all people with lung cancer in, across all provinces and territories of Canada and um, you know the purpose of this podcast is is not a fundraising gig but people can go can go to the lung website and there's the, the Hope Army and you can sign up and join the Hope Army there's no financial cost to that and just to, to lend your support and uh, there you can see James's t-shirt and if you want you can get a t-shirt uh, I have a t-shirt I expect Stephen you've got a t-shirt uh, I have a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, with, with that beautiful design on and, and, and Hope Army. So, um, yeah, it's been, uh, been terrific. It's also um, a
1: great opportunity when a person sees one and they're kind of puzzled by it to have a discussion with the person, to educate them a bit on lung cancer and its prevalence and, and that sort of thing. And, of course, one of the questions that we all get as lung cancer patients yeah. is, um, you know, oh, did you smoke or I didn't know you smoked? No, I didn't smoke. No, I don't smoke. <laughs> so you can get that whole conversation started as well. So there, um, there's opportunities that come with wearing that shirt.
0: And pe- people can't, uh, obviously can't see me, but it, it, when we're recording this in Ottawa, to, this morning it was minus 28. So I <laughs> have my, uh, ah, hope, my Hope Army beanie that I'm wearing which keep my uh, ears warm this morning. So anyway, also all sorts of goodies anyway here we, we're not on a sales program here this isn't uh, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't sales TV Stephen I really appreciate your time telling your story and your life volunteering and family support open family faith uh, hope army the, the way you've 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 tackled this last uh, couple of years of your life if you uh, you know if there was somebody listening to this who has just been diagnosed, maybe, or is is it you know just starting out on a with lung cancer? Is is there anything that you know you would say say to them that you would you would advise, or, or is it all very individual? Wow, yeah, that, that's tough because in all honesty, I'm very ignorant about
1: many different forms of cancer. There are many different forms of lung cancer and so forth, and even when you start getting into the gene, you know genetic mutations and so forth, there's so many of them now that we're aware of but certainly I guess there are, there are two things. So one, one other little thing I will mention is that one of the big problems that I had as well was not just the cancer, but my back was compromised. And after I started on my cancer medication, my oncologist said to me, oh yeah, your, your bones are pretty brittle and so forth, but don't worry, there's a medication for that. A medication called denosumab, or isjiva. So I, I was prescribed that, that helped my bones to grow back. And it's like, I can't believe this. There's, First of all, there's a treatment for a cancer. Now there's a treatment for my bones as well. And and I can't tell you how empowering it is to get this, the strength back in your bones so that yeah, I can go lift something now that's 45 or 50 pounds. Oh, my oncologist might not like me saying that, but but I have and I feel fine doing it, and it hasn't caused me any issues. And and my my back feels strong now. So so to me, I mean it's just been one incredible, hopeful journey after another. Yes, the initial diagnosis was a tough couple of days but every day since that has been a positive experience for me and I know that sounds strange and some people would never understand it but there's been little negativity in this whole ride and the incredible treatments that are out there that that I wasn't aware of in fact my doctor even said to me on day one he said I don't I don't know what the targeted treatments are that are out there he said there's so they change almost weekly we can't keep track of it you'll have to speak to oncology about that but don't give up hope and, and I didn't give it up, but I must say that I, I wasn't really as enthusiastic as he was about it. It wasn't until I started going through the process and realizing, oh yeah, okay, the radiation treatment can do this and make this improvement. It can help shrink the tumors. Okay, and then there's this possible medication you can take that might work, and it did. And then there's another medication that you can take that can help you. And it was just one thing after another. So it was a positive thing after a positive thing. So please, especially early in early diagnosis, wait a bit, don't be too concerned. I know it's a horrible thing to hear, but there is hope. And, and hope is an important thing. Even if it's just, just life extending, gosh, you can have a wonderful quality of life, even if it's shorter than you thought. And the other thing is, who knows? I mean, you could be hit by a car tomorrow. So let's face it, uh, anything that we can do to help our, our treatment is wonderful. And, and this is something we know can, can give us a positive Outcome and and it, and it sure has
0: for me. It, it's interesting, you know. Sometimes on our side of the table, we, we'll talk about hope and say, "Look, there is hope, and there's these treatments and and targeted therapies, immunotherapies, radiation treatments." And it, you're absolutely right. There's been there's been huge advances that it you know even as lung cancer specialists, you know, we have to really be focused not to miss the new advances. But I imagine people listening might be much more encouraged to hear you say there's hope because you've you've lived it from your side of the table, not my side of the table. I have, and you know, this'll sound strange to some people as well, but,
1: and I tell people this all the time, I go to bed every night with a smile on my face. And I do, <laughs> and when I get in bed, the first thing I do is, is I had a great day. <laughs> and, and sometimes I'm giggling at myself and I get up every morning with a smile. And, and quite frankly, every day has been phenomenal. <laughs> Uh, you you know you still live with the daily challenges of life, but holy cow to be able to live, what a gift!
0: <laughs> it yeah, is. What what a what a line to 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 finish on, Stephen. Thank you so much for sharing for sharing your story. I, I think a lot of people are going to listen to this and and then tell other people to listen to it too. Um, I hope so. Stay active. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure appreciate your time. And for people listening, if you. If you've heard something in Stephen's story that, and, and you have lung cancer and have questions about you know, treatments or radiation treatments or, or, or other issues that, that have come up, please do uh, you know, do uh, reach out to Lung Cancer Canada or to your own health team. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at Lung Can, on Twitter at Lung Cancer underscore can and on Instagram at Lung Cancer Canada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.